Today, we're starting our Seeds series, and, and we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, Zechariah chapter 4, Psalms chapter 24, and Luke chapter 17, and um, hitting each one of those. And I like to tell you those things up front, and, and those scriptures up front, because I want you to see in everything that we do here at McCord Road, we're, we're very biblically based in everything that we do. The Bible is our roadmap, and we want to follow it with intentionality and intention. And so... Um, and so we're, we're, we move into this series, and we're going to mix it up a little bit in that we're going to start off with our big idea. Usually I'll read a, a passage of scripture, then I'll set up the big idea. But today we're just going to give you the big idea up front. And the big idea is this. If you're a note taker in your uh, worship guides, there's an opportunity to take notes, and I encourage you to do so. The big idea is this. Every big thing starts small. Every single big thing starts small. If you see a big company... At one point, it was a small company. If you have a big problem, at one point, it was a small problem. If, 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 if yeah, Andre the Giant, arguably one of the largest people in modern history, and, and he started off as a little bitty baby. Every big thing starts small, good or bad. And our text is found in Mark chapter number 4, where Jesus is talking, and, and he's trying to describe a big thing to the people that he's communicating with here. And in verse number 30, it says, Jesus said, how can I describe the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God. This is a big thing. We're talking about something that existed in eternity, past, exists now, and exists in the future. And when we talk about eternity, we're talking about past, present, future, all at the same time. I mean, we're, we're talking about something that is mind-blowingly big. Bigger than anything I can comprehend. It's big. And he says, what story should I use to illustrate it? I'm trying to explain this to you, and how can I do this? I teach a lot in parables. Jesus is saying this. I, I teach in parables. So what kind of a story can I give that will get us to understand this thing called the kingdom of God? I know... It's like a mustard seed. I know, that's what you were thinking too, right? I'm going to explain the, the most mind-expanding concept ever, and I'm going to tell you it's like a mustard seed planted in the ground. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of all garden plants. It grows long branches and birds can make nests in its shade. So Jesus says this, the tree, it starts small, but it grows up and it provides shade and it provides housing for the people and creatures around it. That people can stand in its shade and enjoy that and, and birds can roost in its branches and enjoy that. It gives food, it gives sustenance. It, it is a benefit to its area because of what it is and it, and it becomes something big. And he's intentionally using something that starts off very small but grows into something very big. And I think there's some lessons here for us. And so we have three thoughts this morning. And thought number one is this. Small things matter. Small things matter. In fact, right now we have kids ministry going on in the back. You, this is a very prolific church. And you bring your kids to church. These are all good things. 
And so we have children's ministry that's going on right now. If you look around the room, you'll see orange shirts. Those orange shirts, they could just be somebody rooting for the Longhorns, but I doubt it here in this area. And so these are people that are uh, serving in our kids' ministry area, and, and they do so because small things matter. There's a lot of resources that go into our kids' ministry to keep it, to keep it clean, to keep it safe to keep it secure, to make sure that your children are getting everything that they need in teaching and in staffing and so on and so forth. There's a lot that goes into that because we understand that small things matter. Those small things will grow up and they will be the future of your family. They will be the future of this church. They will be the future of our community. Should the Lord tarry, they'll be the future of our nation. These are are small things but they matter. Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, became very famous for this, what he called the broken window theory. And what he, he proposed is that when we go into a neighborhood and we see broken windows, we need to get them fixed right away. Because while a broken window is a small thing, it represents a larger negative thing. And if we'll start fixing the broken windows quickly, then what we'll find is that Crime will drop. We'll find that, that society will get better in the area and standards of living will rise. And at first, there was a lot of doubt concerning this, but it proved to be true. And prime, crime rates in New York City began to fall as this theory was put into, into place. And it became a guiding principle for many, many years. Small things matter. The interesting thing about seeds is that seeds by nature are smaller than the thing that they represent. They, they contain everything that they need to for that, that bigger thing to become, but, but they're just really, really small. And so it's easy to, to look at them and, and, and think that they don't matter, but you, but you can't have the big thing unless you have the small thing. And the small thing becomes the big things in the right environments within our lives. Now we're going to be using this whole seed and tree concept throughout the entire series. But today I want to take us to an Old Testament passage that will really drill down into what we're trying to do as we launch this this series today. And that's going to be the book of Zechariah chapter 4 and we're going to start in verse number 7. Now if you're not very familiar with Zechariah, I know some, some folks probably don't even know it's in the Bible. But it is. It's in the Bible. And what it basically tells the story of is there's this guy named Zerubbabel. And if you're expecting and need a good baby name, here's a good one for you. Zerubbabel just kind of rolls off the tongue. uh, (laughs) They'll never get picked on in school, I promise. So so Zerubbabel is leading a bunch of the Israelites, the, the, the people of Israel, back into the promised land. Israel had been a strong nation, they were, they were a strong kingdom, and, and they were doing good things, but then they walked away from God, and ultimately, Israel split into two parts, Israel and Judah, and then, then even after that, Israel became overwhelmed by their enemies, and then ultimately Judah became overwhelmed by their enemies, and now the entire nation of Israel is in captivity. They are serving other nations, and they were removed from the promised land into these other nations. And, and so now Zerubbabel is bringing back one of the first waves of people to come back 
to Jerusalem, back to Israel, and, and everybody's really excited about this. And, and there's a whole bunch of them coming, and, and their, their task is they're going to reestablish the nation of Israel, and they're going to build the temple, and, and good things are going to happen. There's a lot that they're excited about. And so as they make their way over and, and, and begin this process, God begins to, to talk to this prophet Zechariah. And Zechariah begins to write down what God says. Now, in this, you have some, some just historical context of what's going on, and then you have some prophetic context where Zechariah is saying, this is what is going to happen as you walk through this process. Well, in chapter number four, God gives Zechariah two dreams, two visions rather, right at the beginning of the chapter that he begins to record. And so we're going to read both of those, at least portions of them, and, and see what God says here. Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 7 is the first vision, he says, or first uh, prophetic utterance. He says, nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it. May God bless it. He's saying there's coming a day that Zerubbabel is going to place the final stone into the rebuilt temple. And it's going to be an epic day. It's going to be fantastic. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to be shouting, may God bless it. They're going to know the hand of God's on it. They're going to know this is a good thing. And they're going to rejoice over everything that's going on at this particular point. This is going to be a big, big day. Yes, there's going to be problems that they're going to have to stand up to, but even great mountains are going to be leveled, and, and it is going to happen. It's going to happen. So he's talking about this really awesome moment. Isn't it an awesome moment when that last piece of the puzzle is put in there? I have to tell you, personally, I do not understand people who like puzzles. I cannot stand puzzles. And my mother is one who loves puzzles. And she would always say, hey, I've got this seven billion piece puzzle and I just, and we've got it on the table. Let's just all as a family get around and let's do the puzzle. We'll spend great family time. It was never great family time because I hated doing the puzzles. And, and, and the last piece, when the final last piece would be put into there, I, it wasn't, it was just, thank God this is done. I'm out of here. can't stand them and when half of it is the sky it's all blue doesn't make any sense anyway i don't understand it but what god is saying here is that ultimately that last piece of the puzzle is going to fit and when it fits everybody's going to say yes now god has a house again in israel and now we can worship god as he's called us to and and jehovah god is is part of a part of our world again and this is he never left us and and he's now he's got a house among us again and this is this is epic this is awesome but then there is a second part to this that God doesn't stop with this incredible party. He says in verse number 10 of Zechariah 4, he said, do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. Now, a plumb line looks a lot like this. A plumb line is just a, a string with something heavy attached to the bottom to keep it pointed towards the ground. And this is how people used to, in this day, this is how they used to keep buildings straight 
and, and lay things out in a proper manner. In fact, I called one of the guys here in the church who is a, in, he does construction, he has a construction business, and I called him, I texted him last night rather, and I said, hey, can you, do you have a plumb line that I can borrow? And he said, no, but if I did, you could just have it. Because now he does everything with lasers and he does everything, you know, there's better equipment for it. But in this day, uh, it was a plumb line. And what what they would do is they would say, okay, since this is going to make a generally straight line because gravity is going to keep this heavy thing uh, down and and my hand is going to keep the line up, I can kind of make sure that 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 wall that we're putting up stays vertical and it doesn't lean in and it doesn't lean out. And it's just it's just it's just a plumb line. And 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 here's the very beginning. And it's the beginning of the construction process. And, it, and it's used all the way through the construction process to where in the end, in the end, you have a, a building, a temple that will stand strong and firm and, and everything's square and everything's right because Zerubbabel was using a plumb line in his hand from day number one. Now, the plumb line is not that impressive. Are, are you feeling impressed right now? Any one of us, any one of our children could go home and make this. This is, not, this is not that impressive, but without it, the building can't stand in the long term. It's a small thing. The final stone being placed, oh, that's an epic thing. This is a small thing. But without the small thing, the epic thing can never occur. It won't stand for long. And I think that the accounting of this gives us some insight to how we treat small things most of the time. Notice that the people rejoiced, may God bless it, whenever the final stone was placed in the temple. Nobody was screaming, may God bless it, when Zerubbabel pulled out the plumb line. But God was rejoicing whenever Zerubbabel pulled out the plumb line. The Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The Lord was rejoicing when the plumb line was there. The people rejoiced whenever the final stone was put into place. We celebrate big things and we overlook, sometimes we're careless about, sometimes we're dismissive of the small things. We look forward to launching the business. Oh, can't wait. I'm gonna, my, this business is going to revolutionize the world. But we skip writing the business plan. We, we skip the small thing. We talk about moving to the next grade. Oh, I, I'm, I'm about to be. I'm about to be. I talk to kids all the time. I love talking to your, your kids, and it's hilarious whenever they tell me. It's like January, and I say, what grade are you in? Well, I'm going to be in the 12th grade in 14 years. I mean, they're, they're a fourth grader, and they're, well, I'm, I'm going to be in the fifth grade in like, well, once I get out of fourth grade. They're always talking about what's going to be. But if you're always talking about what's going to be, but you're not studying for the test that is today. Well, it's just, I mean, it's just one little test. That, just, but one day I'm going to graduate, I'm going to have my diploma, and I'm going to you know, honors, and, and, and I'm going to rock this world. That's great, but you're not going to rock anything if you're not passing today's test. We talk about the millions that we're going to make, and then we don't manage the $25 check that we receive from our first job. 
That's, I mean, it's $25. What's there to manage? $25 unmanaged can't become $25 million. $25 managed can become $25. Have you ever seen one of those charts that people tell you whenever they're wanting to impress upon you the, the importance of saving when you're young? If you save half a cent every week from the day you're born, by the time you're 62, you'll have $40 billion in the bank. Now, I'm using loose numbers here, okay? But what they're saying is if you'll manage the small thing, it will become a large thing. We expect to go to heaven. One day, heaven's going to be my home. But we live today like heaven doesn't exist and like it doesn't matter how we live. I mean, it's just today. I mean, today doesn't matter in the whole scope of life. Small thing. Here's the problem. What you despise, you compromise. So when you don't think of the $25 as important, you don't think about that day's test as as important, when you don't think about the, the, the business plan as important, when you don't think about the relationship as important, you compromise those things. If you despise the relationship, you compromise your manners. Everybody else walks in the room and you're like, hello, good morning, it's great to see you. That person walks in the room and you're like, you compromise your manners. You you forget how to treat people properly. If you despise a job, you compromise the quality. You take shortcuts. You show up late. You leave early. You look for every opportunity to cut the corner on the situation because, well, I mean, that's just, that's just, I'm just, I'm just working my first job. It, I'm just, it's a small thing until, until I get to the thing that I'm really wanting to do. Man, whenever I become the CEO, you're going to see how, how much attention to detail I'm, but, but this, oh no. Well, can I, can I help you? You're never going to get to the CEO position if you can't pay attention to the details of the current position that you're in. I want to talk to our younger people today. Maybe you're not married and you're saying, well, you know, I, I, I don't know about that one or I don't know how I'm going to deal with this particular relationship. So I'm just going to treat that relationship casually. Well, don't treat that relationship casually. What if you actually put the effort into treating that, that relationship with honor and integrity? And you say, well, that may not be my forever person. And maybe it won't be your forever person. But if you treat that person with integrity, and you might have to end that relationship with integrity, then I promise you, you're never going to have a problem being an integrous person as you move into what will become the right forever relationship in your life. But if you despise it, then you compromise it. Sometimes... Compromising the present while longing for a future causes the future to never become. A a business person might cheat a little bit on the launch of the business and it comes back to be a problem later on and they lose everything. A person may compromise something on the front end of a relationship and then on the back end it haunts them. We don't spend the time to learn how to manage those, those first small paychecks. And so we, we, we never end up being able to manage 
the, the large paychecks. One time somebody told me, they said, you know, I don't know about tithing and, and giving because, you know, I don't make a lot of money and so I don't, you know, I, I can afford to live, but I don't, you know, I, I'll deal with that whenever I, whenever I have a big check to worry about. And, and I, would just, I would just encourage everyone and, and say that if you don't learn how to tithe on the small amount, it becomes very difficult to tithe on the large amount. It, it's a small thing. But handling the small things right open up the doors to the large things. The small thing is the seed that results in the big thing. The temple was incredible. Incredible. The plumb line seems virtually inconsequential. It's a rock at the end of a twine. But if the plumb line isn't used right, then the rest of the project is potentially useless because it's not, it's not going to be straight. And that leads us to thought number two. Thought number two is that God's kingdom is both big and small. It's both big and small. In our text, Jesus is describing the kingdom of God and, and he, he, one could easily say that the kingdom of God is the biggest thing that's ever existed. Uh, it, it's, it's in eternity. It's, it encompasses everything. In fact, on a, on a macro level, you're talking about something that is, that is past, present, future, in eternity, beyond our scope of understanding. But as it relates to this world, the, New, the Old Testament and the New Testament both talk about this. And we're going to read the Old Testament passage, Psalms chapter 24, verse number 1, where the, the, the word reads, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That means the earth itself, everything that is contained within the earth, and everything that dwells upon the earth, that means the plants, the animals, and you and me. It all belongs to God. All of it. We belong to God. So there is nothing else, there's nothing in the world, there's nothing that we can ever know that does not belong to God. But then on a micro level, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is within the saved. Look at what the Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse number 21. Jesus says, Nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. So they're not going to say, is it in Jerusalem or is it in the mountain? But instead, the kingdom of God is within you. Now there are some versions, some translations of Scripture that use the term Instead of within you, it says among you. And I think that that's an easier understanding. It's an easier understanding because here, here we are, we're all gathered together, and among us is the kingdom of God. And, and that's cool because, you know, we're all part of the kingdom of God, and, and the kingdom of God is among us. But I don't think it's an accurate translation. I like the, the within translation better than the among translation. And, and because the, the Greek word there, entos, it literally means inside, within, in every aspect. And so I like the idea of, uh, I like the use of the word inside or within you more than among you because I believe that when Christ is within us, the entirety of the kingdom of God is within us. So on a macro level, it's everywhere, and on a micro level, it's in you and it's in me. The kingdom of God is big and it is small. 
And Jesus is asking the question, how do I describe something so big? And then he says, I'm going I'm to use the seed to do it. I'm going to use this, this idea of the seed. And when we talk about a seed, the seed is the, the, the thing that a plant creates in order to duplicate itself and to continue to live. But honestly, for me, it's hard to see how a seed has anything to do with the kingdom because these are seeds right here in this bag is a whole bunch of seeds and I'm gonna I'm gonna get one out and it's hard just really to get one yeah I don't even have one right now okay here here I got one see that you can't hardly see it because I can't hardly see it my fat fingers won't allow me to see the... There it is. I see it a little bit right there. That's a little bitty seed right there. And when I think of the kingdom of heaven, I'm not really thinking about this. But Jesus says, this is the seed. But he does not just say the kingdom of heaven is like a seed. Because a seed like this, left like this, will dry out and become useless. But he says the seed planted in the ground. Because it's when the seed that is planted in the ground that suddenly the seed has potential. It has potential to grow into something much larger, much greater, much bigger. The unplanted seed has no future. The planted seed has a great future ahead of it. And now its potential can be unlocked. And it's here that Jesus gets specific. He said it's like a mustard seed. And it just so happens that what I hold in my hands right now are mustard seeds. And I'm thankful to Dr. Ricolta for providing them. He grows everything and does it well. I struggle to grow grass in my front yard. Backyard, forget it. It's not growing. But this is the mustard seed. And it's a tiny little bitty seed But let me show you what it grows into. That's a mustard tree. This little seed right here becomes that right there when it's planted in the ground and allowed to cultivate and grow and develop into what it can be. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, don't misjudge the potential in something because of how it begins. It begins small and tiny, but it grows into that right now. Right now, there are birds in there building condo complexes in that tree. They are are loving that tree. And those gazelle are are hiding and and resting under those trees. And and, and, and the potential is great. God has placed incredible potential within your life. He's placed a seed there. And it's going to begin as something that's very small but if cultivated properly it can grow into something big and beautiful that can bless the world around you and here's the reality the big and small kingdom of god is in the believer that means wherever you go you're walking in the kingdom of god because it's everywhere around you and you are walking with the kingdom of god as you carry it within you So you have the ability to share the kingdom of God with other people. You have the ability to tell people, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers. You can say, let me tell you about Jesus because he's in me. He lives in me. And, and, And I am a representative. I'm a carrier 
of the kingdom of God. You know what you need in your life? You need the kingdom of God. You might say it in different uh, language. That's why we're having Doug Pollock here. He'll teach us how to say it real nice. But in, in all of that, I encourage you to be here for that, for that, uh, that morning and then for that afternoon because he will, he will help us. He will coach us in what it means to be carriers of the kingdom and share the kingdom of God with other people. It starts small, but it ends up big. In fact, I'll tell you right now, in our church, we have a, a, a team called the member care team. And this member care team, it reaches out to everyone in our congregation who's sick and injured and they visit hospitals and they pray for people and so on. In fact, if you're on the member care team, would you just stand up right now? If you serve in any capacity of the member care team, stand up. Uh, stand up right now. Um, okay, we maybe here, there we go. We have, we have some. I praise God. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. In first service, we had, we had a good number. In second service, we had a whole bunch. And, and the, we have a, 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 a mighty few in this uh, particular service. But these folks touch people consistently throughout our congregation. In fact, the, the team that prays for people uh, in the hospitals and sends cards to people who are sick have touched 410 people in the last few months. 410 people know that Jesus loves them, that their church family cares about them. 410 people within our congregation and even some outside of our congregation have been touched by people. And what is that? That's the kingdom of God. It's one person touching another person, but it's the kingdom of God touching another person. And when one person in the kingdom is touched by the kingdom, then the whole kingdom is impacted by that. So we are blessing the kingdom of God around the world and for time and eternity when we bless one brother, when we bless one sister, when we bless one person with the kingdom of God. We're making a difference in the whole kingdom. So when we live out the small kingdom in our lives, we are impacting the big kingdom. And I don't know of too many stories that illustrate this better than the story of uh, evangelist Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham, you may have heard of him. Uh, some people describe him as the most inefficient or ineffective evangelist of his day. And that's because he wasn't apparently very good at speaking. He was a tent revival guy, and so he would take a tent, and, and he and his family would, would take their tent, and they would go from town to town, and they would set it up, and they would have revivals, and invite people in, and, and, and offer those people uh, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ and an opportunity to know Jesus. And so they, moved, they went to this one small uh, South Carolina town, and they set everything up, and, and they, had, they were planning to be there for four nights. And so the first night, they, the story goes that they had a good turnout, about 120 people, and he preached, and, and, and you know, they had church, and, and offered the opportunity to be saved. And, and, uh, and, and, and the next night, they, they did it again, but they had about 80 people on that second night. And, and then... Their third night, they only had about 30 people. And I'm just going to tell you that when you're preaching and, and trying to give people that opportunity to know Jesus, you want to see numbers go like this, not so much like that. But the numbers were just falling off and it wasn't working really well. And, and so they decided to go for that one more night. And, and the story is that they only had about 20, 25 people in this particular service. And Mordecai Ham preached... And he made an offer of salvation. He said, if you want to be saved this morning, why don't you just come to the front of this, uh, to this altar here and, and we'll pray together. 
I don't know exactly how long it took, but in that moment, no big crowd was going, may God bless it. May God bless it. There, there wasn't a great big party going on. There were 25 people sitting there going, would you say be dismissed so that we can go? Much like some of you right now. But one teenage boy got up. And he made his way down to the altar. And when Mordecai Ham said, what's your name, young man? That young man said, my name, sir, is Billy Graham. And that's the night that Reverend Billy Graham was saved. Now one may say, well, Mordecai Ham, he wasn't that great of an evangelist, and he really wasn't that great engaging of a speaker, and, and maybe he wasn't very successful, but I would encourage us in saying that while the world may have seen it that way, I, I, I think, I think, while no one was out there saying, may God bless it, I think, I think Jesus was celebrating because Mordecai had a plumb line in his hand. And he was saying, well, maybe, maybe if I just... I, I don't know about the big crowd. Apparently, I'm not really good at that part. But, but if I can just keep the wall straight, if I can just teach the gospel the way that the Bible says, if I can just, if I can just share it in a way that, that will connect with maybe just one person. And, 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 and it, it's, it's not a real fancy thing, and it's not a real wow thing. And, but, but, but this one, I'm just going to be faithful with this seed. I'm going to see what God does with it. I'm going to be faithful with the small thing. And can I say the ministry of Mordecai Ham was represented in front of millions around the world as Billy Graham preached through his life and career. Only the creator knew the power of the seed that was being planted. All Mordecai Ham knew is, I need to be faithful with this seed. I can tell you a story that I go back to on a regular basis, especially whenever I'm not feeling too hot. Sometimes I walk away from what I do and I feel like I didn't do a really good job. It's not because anybody in this church, I've only had one time that somebody told me, you know what, you just really didn't do a very good job today. And that wasn't in this church. Most people are kind. If they think I really was bad, they just won't say anything at all. Many people will say, you did a good job. In the churches that I grew up in, you knew if you were doing good or not. Because if you were doing good, they say, praise God, hallelujah. They'd talk back to you the whole time you were preaching and tell you that you were doing a good job. But if you ever heard them start saying, help him, Lord, you knew you were doing a bad job. <laughs> oh, help him, Lord. Whew, I better get it tuned in real fast. So, on this particular Sunday, it was my very first sermon. That day... The week before, my, I was 16 years old, and my dad had told me, he had caught me as I was coming up the stage, the stairs on the pla- onto the platform to play the drums, and he said, Micah, I feel like you need to preach next Sunday. And when my father says something to me like that, the only answer is, yes, sir. This is not a discussion. It's a declaration, and yes, sir. So that week, I, I wrote out what would be my manuscript, and I, every word I was going to say, I, I wrote it out. And I wrote it out as clearly as possible because I knew even as I was preparing it, my hand was shaking and I knew I was going to be nervous. And so I stood, 
I got up and walked walk to the pulpit. My dad is exactly six feet tall. At the time, he weighed 300 pounds, and he bench pressed 300 pounds. He was just, he's a, he's a big man. He's a block of a man. And his pulpit was made to where you could house a small family inside. It was a massive pulpit. And he was, he, and I got up to speak, and I was nervous, and I just read through my manuscript. And at the end, I didn't know how to close the service, so at the end, I just said, okay, I'm done. And if anybody would like to pray, why don't they just come forward and, and uh, talk to the Lord. And in a congregation that had about 300 people in it, nobody came. And in our culture, you know, you didn't stop until people were at the altar. That's just how it was. And so I was thinking, Lord Jesus, let somebody come to this altar so we can get me out of my misery here. And I think they were all praying, Lord, just let him stop so we can all be out of our misery. But in this corner over here, there was a, about a nine-year-old girl. I, knew not, I know now that she was nine, and she tried to get away from her mother, but her mother kept catching her like this and bringing her back. Well, at one point, third or fourth try, she actually got loose from her mother and ran down the aisle. Her mother was running after her with everything she had in order to be able to catch her and drag her back to her seat. But when that girl crossed the line of the chairs and broke into the altar space, kind of like the end zone, uh, she, she broke into there. That mother stopped her running and very calmly <laughs> walked up. And her daughter was doing this at the altar. And so she started praying with her like that's exactly what she meant to do the entire time. And only the people that were on the stage knew that she was killing herself to stop everything until that moment. And I was just so thankful that anybody was at the altar. I didn't care what she wanted to pray about. I was over there and I said, how can I pray for you? And she said, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. That's what I did. And I, I, we began to pray and she met Jesus in a, an incredible moment. And it was beautiful. Her mother was so happy that she was there, and I was so happy that she was there. And I was happy for her, but I was even more happy for me. I know that wasn't very Christian, but it's very true. I was so happy for me because now I could go back to that pulpit and say, hey, let's pray. We're dismissed in Jesus' name and be done. But in that moment, she gave her life to Jesus. And, and I have many times since thought about that day whenever I've preached a message that I didn't think went really well. And I've gone back to that moment and said, God did something there in a small moment that changed an eternity. Thought number three, small successes become big successes. People who experience major failures rarely do so for big reasons. Declaring bankruptcy does not start with putting everything on the line it starts with stretching for that car, that vacation, that thing that you can't really afford, but you try to go for it anyway. The divorce doesn't happen after one big fight, but it happens after a thousand small arguments that are never resolved. Walking away from God doesn't start in one moment where you leave a service and say, I'm never going back to God again. I, I refuse God right now. Walking away from God starts after a hundred times other pursuits taking top priority in your life over the things of God. Most people do not fail to achieve their goals because of one big thing, but because of many small things. But I would encourage us today by saying the reverse is also true. People who experience major success do so for many small reasons. 
Taylor Swift in a documentary recounts the, I, the, the experience she had when she first broke, made it big and, and broke through the, the you know, and, and, and started really becoming a star. And a t- television uh, person interviewed her and, and said, how does it feel being an overnight success? And Taylor Swift said, I have worked a long time and I've worked hard to become this overnight success. Because, see, her story really is that from a very young age, she was writing music every single day. And she was, she was writing in such a way to where artists that were much older than her were actually recording some of her songs. Her family moved to Nashville where they homeschooled her so that every day she could go to producers' offices and ask them to, for contracts and, and really market herself. And she did that for year after year after year until somebody decided to take a chance on her. And you know the rest of that story. And I don't know that there's many greater success stories in the music industry than Taylor Swift right now. She's reaching into all kinds of stuff. It's pretty impressive what has happened in her life. But none of it happened because of one big moment. It happened because of a thousand tiny moments. And I'm just asking you, what has God planted in your life? What is he doing in your life? What destiny, what temple, what tree, what big thing, what big thing had, does he have designed for your life and prepared for your life? But when, I don't know what it is. I don't know exactly what it is right now. But, but I know if it's from God, it's going to be good. It's going to be good for you. And when God wants to build something big, he plants a seed. Plants a seed. And if you cultivate the seed, he'll grow. In my life, there was a time when I was just stretching for big things. I wanted to see big things happen. And very little was going on. I mean, something snapped in my spirit. It clicked in my spirit. And I thought, what if I just do small things with excellence? I started doing small things with excellence. And all of a sudden, big opportunities began opening up for my life. I believe the call today is, can we respect the small things? Throughout this series, we're going to unpack that. I'd ask you to just bow your heads with me right now. And ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this sermon? I'm I'm believing, God, for some big things in your life. Big things in this church. Big things in Sylvania and Toledo metro area. I'm believing for great relationships to be born in your life. Great friendships. I'm believing for great marriages. I'm believing for great businesses. I'm believing for great friendships. I'm believing for great ideas. I'm I'm believing for great numbers of salvations. I'm believing for big things and, and there are seeds being planted for that right now. Are we willing to take out the plumb line? Because if you'll do it, God will rejoice. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for what you're doing in this house right now. I'm praying that you will move in us as only you can. Give us the courage, the strength, and the ability 
to cultivate the right seeds to see your will done in our lives, in this church, in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. And let everybody say amen.